Amen. Well, you can take a seat. Welcome to church this morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name's Nathan. This is our first, here we go, this is our first uh, gathering on Easter in this new space of ours, which we're thankful for and so glad that you're a part here with us today. We good? All right. We're still figuring things out. We're still looking for light switches, trying to find out how to open doors. It's, it's good, but it's going to work out. We all right? All right, good. Good, good. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. We'll hand one to you. There's communication cards tucked inside. And if you're new with us and you'd like to hand off some contact info, that'd be great. We send out an, e- an email newsletter once a week. And also it helps us to just welcome you well if you'll fill out a card and we'll pass a basket around um, you're still not hearing me, huh? All right. Well, I got a green light, so I can get old school and just get really loud. There we go. Do you know that I welcomed you? You know that you're at Emmaus Church? Did you get the message? It's Easter? Good. All right, good. <clears throat> I'm glad. Sorry for the rough start. Hang in there with us. We'll figure it out. Good. Well, welcome. Uh, the reason for our gathering today, friends, it's simple. And it's clear and it's profound. Today is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, plain and simple. Today is the day of resurrection, right? In fact, the reason that early Christians shifted their Sabbath observance from Saturday to Sunday is because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The boundaries on life and death get shifted today and they remain that way for the rest of time because of what happened today. Things like spiritual things change today. The the nature of reality changed today. Cosmic things happened and changed today. Personal things changed today. Because today is Easter Sunday. Those who were afraid surged with courage on this day because of what they discovered. And that courage never waned as they faced adversity in the coming weeks and years of their life. It's because today is Easter. It's because today is the day of the resurrection. Now, we live in a really interesting time and culture when it comes to the story of Easter. Here's why I think it's interesting. Because most people living in Placer County in 2017 can basically recount the Easter story. But I would say that most people living in Placer County in 2017 wouldn't be able to tell you very specifically what difference the Easter story made in their life. In other words, if we were to go into one of the cafes serving breakfast this morning, I could find pretty quickly somebody who could recount the high points of this weekend. Somebody could say, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus. He lived on the other side of the planet 2,000 years ago. He died on Friday. He rose again on Sunday. And they'd feel really good about that potentially. But then if I asked them, so what difference does that make in your life? I think it'd be a lot harder to find somebody who could give you a a specific response to that question. And that's why it's so interesting. That's why it's so troubling. It's kind of like we still know the story, but we know it like one of those childhood fairy tales. Like if you start it for me, I could tell you what happens next, but I haven't thought about it for years. It really doesn't make any difference in my here and now. It just seems a little bit too separated from where I'm living right now. And so as a Christian this morning, my responsibility first and foremost is very clear. My responsibility as a Christian is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, my responsibility is to share that reality, the reality of resurrection with others in the way that I live and what I say, which assumes that the resurrection is impacting my life. That it is helping me and influencing the way that I understand reality, that it's shaping what I hope for, that it's affecting how I love, that it's affecting what I'm longing for. 
And sometimes, friends, this is the issue. This is specifically it, that it's hard to translate what we believe or what we hope to believe into the way that we're living on a practical level. It's the ramifications of resurrection that are limitless, right, in both power and in scope. But often when things slip into that category of everything, of, well, it means everything to me, it's too vague, it's too general, and it needs to be more specific in order to make a difference. <laughs> Good. Did you see it? You see what I'm looking for? There we go. Good. What I want to try to argue this morning is that we need, res- we need specifics. We need to push the story to a level of specifics in order for it to make a difference. So what I'd like to offer today is a really simple sermon on the effects or the ramifications of resurrection, Christ's resurrection on the lives of the people who originally witnessed it and first proclaimed it. So I want to offer this to you who are here today who are Christian as five specific things that you can celebrate today, the day of resurrection. I want to offer it to those of you who are here today who are Christian as five reasons resurrection should matter in your life. And I also, respectfully, I want to offer it to those of you who are here today who aren't Christian. You've come with family or you're just checking things out or you're investigating or you're skeptical or whatever. And I want to offer this to you as five ways, five reasons that you might consider this story of resurrection, five ways that it has affected not just my life, because I'm frankly not talking about my life except for a couple times today, but I want to I invite you to consider the five things that the earliest proclaimers of the resurrection said, this is the difference that it makes for us, all right? So um, we're beginning a series today called Build This House, and using this metaphor of house, I simply want to ask this question this morning. What difference does it make when resurrection is your foundation, when resurrection is your starting point, your beginning point, the foundation on which you are building your life. And to answer that question, we're going to look at the first recorded Christian sermons. And they come from a book of history. It's written by a Greek doctor who converts to following Christ in the first century. His name is Luke. He writes one of the Gospels, the Gospel according to Luke. He also has a second book called Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And it's simply a record of the events and the teachings of the earliest Christians, the first church. And what emerges very clearly as you read these sermons is this, their whole understanding of their faith, their whole understanding of their practice was built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus' rising from the dead was not some sort of additional add-on or some sort of supplemental bonus feature. This was the essential teaching and the foundation of the whole community. It is not a stretch to say that, the, that Christianity is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so you guys ready to jump in? I want to give you the five earliest sermons and how they link uh, consequences or ramifications of the resurrection, resurrection to our life. So the first public proclamation recorded in Luke's book called Acts is a speech that's made by Peter. He's one of the 12 apostles. He's speaking to this huge crowd of people. It's 50 days after the resurrection Sunday. It's a day called Pentecost. And this is what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Friends, that is the shift in understanding that just took place in Peter's life. It is a radical shift in understanding. His conviction forever had been just like everybody else's, that death closes the door to what is possible. We like to say, oh, anything is possible. Yeah, until you die, and then it's not possible anymore because it closes the door on possibility. And Peter would have grown up with this core understanding of reality, but then Jesus' resurrection changes all that. It changes all that. It rewrites the rules. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the, that is the assertion of resurrection. What difference does it make, Peter? It frees him from the agony of death. What is the agony of death? It's that it's over, right? It's that she's gone. It's that I can't talk to him anymore. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What in the world is impossible for death? Isn't death like the final? See, here's the first ramification of resurrection proclaimed by Christians. When resurrection is your foundation, you know that the power of death is limited. You know that it's limited. Jesus is raised from the dead, and suddenly, for the first time ever, death no longer has the final word. Right? So the period that was at the end of every sentence of every person's life gets erased and re replaced with a comma. And what had forever been the story, life, well, actually birth, and then life, and then death, period, it gets rewritten. And now it's birth, life, death, comma, resurrection. The whole paradigm is changed because of Christ's resurrection, Right? So the first ramification of resurrection for early Christians is ontological. It has to do with what they know. It's a shift in their basic understanding of how things work. Why are they celebrating resurrection? Because now they know that the power of death is limited. And that's huge. That is an understanding that changes everything. And I think that's kind of a silly analogy. Um, and hopefully you do better than the first gathering did on this. Here's a question. I hope it's helpful. Think back, very first Star Wars movie, okay, very first one, like from the late 70s, the original episode four, you with me? Amen. Who is the, mo what's that? Good. Who, who is the most powerful character in that first movie? It is not Darth Vader, he's angry and bitter and crabby and he lost, yeah, he's, that's not him. What is it? It's Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm so glad some young people understand this. Right, we had all sorts of Kylo Ren nonsense happening at the 9 o'clock. It was pitiful. Right. right. So Star Wars is certainly not a consistent biblical worldview, but the reason that Obi-Wan Kenobi is the most powerful character in the story is because he understands that even if Darth Vader strikes him down, death's just a minor setback, right? It's not over. And so he, he sort of is this interesting uh, example, kind of a modern day example of a temporary view of death, which gets embraced by the early Christians. This is not where the story ends. This is just a, a mark on the bigger picture, right? So when resurrection is your foundation, you know that the power of death is limited. 
Here's a second ramification of resurrection. It's revealed in several of the early Christian sermons. It's in the next chapter of Acts. Peter, another apostle named John. Man, I didn't even give you the picture. There it is. Um, Peter and John, they're, they're in front of the Jewish temple, and they encounter a man who has been unable to walk since birth, and now he's begging for money. Peter and John have no money, and so they speak to this man. He's miraculously healed. He stands to his feet. Of course, this attracts a big crowd, and Peter addresses the crowd. This is what he says. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He's referring to Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, he's referring to the man who couldn't walk, whom you see and know was made strong. In Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, that has, it is, it is, it is Jesus' name and the faith that has come through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. So then the temple authorities, they arrest Peter and John, they throw him in jail, and the next day they demand an explanation, and this is what Peter says. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So here again, at the core of Peter's teaching is the reality of the resurrection. It's changing everything for him. And not just as resurrection is some historic event. Oh, that happened one time. No, it's still effective. There's still this here and now present reality of resurrection that they are living in, right? So we could summarize what Peter is saying like this, when resurrection is your foundation, you hope in a power beyond your own, right? Whether it's hope for strength or hope for healing or hope for the right words to say or hope for, for provision, when your life is built on the foundation of the resurrection, when your starting point is the fact that Jesus overcame death, then you place your hope in something higher, something stronger than yourself. It's interesting to me what is remarkably absent from the early teachings of the Christians is this idea of self-reliance. We hear about it a lot now. They don't talk about it at all. Because for them, the resurrection demonstrated that they had access to a source of real power that was beyond their own abilities. Another early Christian named Paul, he writes to the Christians in Rome, and he says that they should rely on the power given to them by God. And then he says this, which is interesting. He says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, this same power is accessible to these normal Christians in everyday life, right? What difference does resurrection make for these people? Well, it completely changes their source of hope, and it can for you, and it can for me. There was a season in my life not too long ago when I had to come face to face with the very real possibility of losing my son to cancer. And it was through that season of my life when I shifted my hope from the possibility that he will be healed to the assurance of the resurrection. Do you hear me? This is serious stuff. I had to no longer place my hope in healing or in medicine or in money. I had to get to a place, and, and thankfully God brought me to a place, and it was brutal, where you know where I had to place my hope? in resurrection, because that was the only sure source of hope for me, right? So I rooted my hope in resurrection. What are the situations in your life that seem too big, too desperate, 
uh, too complicated, uh, too dire. Listen, when resurrection is your foundation, you can place your hope in a source of power beyond yourself. Amen? So if because of resurrection, what I know changes, where I place my hope changes, a third ramification of resurrection is emotional. Specifically, if resurrection is my foundation, I don't have to be afraid. Right? And this is the next practical effect of the resurrection that early Christians proclaim. Uh, there's a scene, there are several actually, where they are confronted with fearful situations. One of them is in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are being interrogated by the highest Jewish court. And that may not sound very threatening to you, but you need to understand that it was the highest authority in their Jewish culture. And probably more acute than that was that two months ago, this was the group of people that put Jesus to death. And it started like this, with a trial, right? So you would think that there would be some pretty significant concern. And here are Peter and John arguing that the man that this court uh, sentenced to death and killed is actually alive again. Luke, who's writing Acts, he narrates this. He says, when the court saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> and then they command Peter and John to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And Peter responds like this, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And they just keep proclaiming the message of resurrection. And so they get called in again. They get arrested again. And this time, it's not the court. They are upbraided by the Jewish high priest, the one that their culture and the, the, the faith in which they've been raised believes. This isn't a man. This is a man is anointed by God. This is God's voice. And he says to them, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. And you had him killed by hanging him on a tree. Please notice this, friends, that again, their reason their starting point, their foundation is very specific. It is the resurrection of Jesus. And this infuriates the Jews. And now they go beyond verbal threats and they beat the apostles. They flog them with whips. And you'd think that now they would be cowering in fear and submission. In fact, they are soaring with courage. It says they rejoice because they were counted worthy of suffering like Christ did. These guys have been really changed by something significant, right? When resurrection is your foundation, you don't have to be afraid. In our culture where feelings are so often regarded as so important, it's like the pinnacle of reality is how do you feel? How cool would it be? How effective would it be if you could say, oh, well, yeah, well, the reason that resurrection matters to me is because I don't have to fear anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. When resurrection is your foundation, you know that death is limited, you hope in a power beyond your own, and you don't have to be afraid. Friends, this is, the this is not my story. This is the testimony of the earliest Christians. This is the record of the first recorded Christian sermons linking resurrection to real life, and they're, they're naming these specific things. 
This is the testimony. This is their experience. And I know there's a lot of content, but I want to tell you two more. I figure you're here, so I'll just give it all to you here. Ready? You good? All right, couple more. When resurrection is your foundation, you embrace forgiveness. This is the reason why resurrection matters that is highlighted by a Christian named Paul that ends up writing much of the New Testament. This is significant because Paul was once a killer of Christians. He persecuted Jews who were turning over their life to Jesus. In Acts 13, Paul, who's a well-educated Jew, he's speaking in a synagogue. Of course, in his sermon, he references the crucifixion of Jesus. And then he says this, chapter 13, verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about Jesus... And he's talking about the rigged trial, the beatings all night long, the crucifixion. He said, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now witnesses to our people. So Paul is proclaiming Christ's resurrection. And he is saying here that this is the difference that the resurrection makes for, for Paul. He says, therefore, my brothers... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Right? So if we walked into a cafe here in town and we found St. Paul, at first I would say, hey, why, why aren't you in my church right now? I mean, am I not, you're not happy with what I'm saying? If we went, we'd say, hey, what, what, what difference does resurrection make in your life, Paul? What are the ramifications of resurrection for you? He wouldn't even hesitate. He would say, because of the resurrection, I'm forgiven for my sins. And forgiveness for his sins is a huge deal for Paul. Because he's a Pharisee, he's a part of this group of Jews that believed that if they kept the law perfectly, they would be okay. And if they didn't, they would not be okay. Furthermore, forgiveness is a huge deal for Paul because he killed women and men who were followers of Jesus. He's got some serious stuff on his conscience. And I know that we don't talk about forgiveness very much in our culture, but I would argue that it's a huge deal for us too. Many of you are carrying around guilt about stuff that happened a long time ago. And you feel somehow disqualified from the love of God because of something that you did or are doing? You feel like you're at arm's length? You haven't embraced forgiveness? Because Paul's foundation, his starting point is resurrection. He's proclaiming this beautiful message. It's at the core of our faith. It's this message of forgiveness. Not because of what you do for God, but, but because of what God does for you. So when resurrection is your foundation, you can embrace Forgiveness, and I mean embrace, friends. I don't mean sort of casually accept. Oh, thanks, what a great benefit. Thanks so much, God, for forgiving. I mean embrace. I mean hold on to. Like this is what I'm counting on. This is what's going to save me. I am forgiven. Emotionally embracing the reality here of the gift that has been offered to you by Christ through his death and resurrection. And then a final ramification of resurrection, friends, is union with God, which is the ultimate uh, reason for being. This is what Paul proclaims in a sermon to a bunch of Greek philosophers late in Acts, chapter 17. What he's arguing for, friends, the context here is he's arguing that you can have a real relationship with your creator. You don't have to go through some silly man-made idol or some god of your own design. And this is what he says. In the past, uh, nope. 
sorry. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by God's or by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of all this to all men by raising him from the dead. There's a lot there, and we've jumped into the middle of a big argument, but essentially Paul is saying that the way has been clearly made to be unified with God, and that way is Jesus, and the proof is the resurrection, right? So when resurrection is your foundation, when you start with the conviction that Jesus not only died to pay for the penalty of your sins, but also rose from the dead to give you new and full life, well, you worship the one true God, the God who made you, the God who died to save you, and the God who rose again to restore you to new and whole life. When resurrection is your foundation, you worship the living God. So what difference does resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus make? Uh, all of us would probably have different answers. Throughout time, there have been limitless answers to that question. But there are five specific ramifications of resurrection from the testimonies of the first proclaimers of Christianity. And I think it's valuable to take note of these. Knowledge of death's limited power. Hope in a power beyond your own. Freedom from fear. Forgiveness from sins. And union with God. I mean, there's a powerful progression here. From basic understanding of reality, source of my hope, without which I really can't live, all the way down to the chief uh, reason for which I was created, which is to worship my creator, to have union with God. All right, let me end with three quick stories. Friday night, we were here, and um, we, it was a Good Friday gathering, and we had stations set up around the room interactive, hands-on kinds of things. It was really great for kids and for families. And one of the stations was back in that corner, and it was a station about gratitude. And you were, uh, it was covered with sticky notes, hundreds of sticky notes. And the invitation was to, was to write something down for which you were thankful. And as we cleaned up, I grabbed a couple of them because I thought they were cool. Here's one, all caps, field trips, right? <laughs> thankful for that. Uh, love that one. Here's another one. Here's another one. I'm thankful for my puppy and also Jesus. Get him in there, right, right. And here's one, says, I'm thankful that I'm not alone. Thankful I'm not, that I'm not alone. It's probably really helpful to be generally grateful. Uh, but what really makes a difference, friends, is getting specific, getting specific. Yesterday morning, I'm in the gym. I'm talking to this guy who's getting bigger every time I see him, and he's talking to me about this adjustment that he made in his workout. And uh, I said, tell me about how you're getting stronger. And he said, well, I made this specific change. And he told me about it. In other words, he didn't say you just got to be in the gym more. You know, you just got to spend more. He said, here's specifically what I did. And this is specifically being effective. It's changing my, my strength and my health. Third, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I met with a counselor for some marriage counseling. And uh, it made a significant difference because he pushed us beyond the general, you know, we could use some help. Uh, 
We'd like to talk to you to the very specific, and he made his name specific issues, specific words, specific trends, specific patterns. Friends, it made a difference because it was specific, okay? The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It changed the whole world, but here's the reality. It'll only change yours if you respond to it in a way that is very specific, Otherwise, it stays at an arm's distance from you, and you generally understand this. You know the basic story, and you live your whole life, and you're unaffected by it. Tragic, unnecessary, not faithful in line with with the testimony of the early Christians, who pushed it to the point of incredible specificity. This is why the resurrection makes a difference in my life. This is, what, this is the, the shape and the form that my life is taking. Why? Because of the resurrection. Friends, when we push the resurrection to a place of specifics, now we're talking about a spirituality that makes sense in real life, right? Now we're beginning finally to step into the kind of life that God created for us to live. This should make a difference, right? This, this should change everything. And it should change it for us in very specific, real-life, tomorrow afternoon kinds of ways, right? So let's pray for the grace that we need to embrace this story, which has become almost unfortunately common in our culture, in a way that makes it very precisely applicable and real and significant in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. Uh, We proclaim it by faith according to the testimony of the word. And we pray for grace to embrace it and to respond to it in ways that make differences in our own lives and for the lives of others. God, help us open our hearts again for the first time or for the 101st time to reconsider, to lay out our life before you and say, what about this? Does it change this? and to be able to see the difference that it makes. And what about this? Does it make any difference here? And allow you to speak truth to our hearts in that area as well. God, may we be people who are deeply affected, in fact, who are changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friends, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to respond to the reality of resurrection.